everybody. How's it going? <clears throat> hey, it is good to see you guys here, as always. Tuesdays are so great. I know we always say that, but I just like, there's nothing like them. It's just good to see you guys here. Uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name's Alex. Um, if we have not met, uh, like, introduce yourself. I would love to get to know you. So that's me. But something else to know about me, um, I am like, a, I'm a movie girl. Like, I would call myself a, a big old movie fan. I, like, always have them on at home, at my house while I'm doing things. Uh, and so I just, like, I, I watch a lot of movies. I'm sure they're not all great, like, quality movies, but I love movies. So the other day, I, I turned on the movie Whiplash. And I, I had seen, I know, it's so good. I had seen it before. I remembered really liking it, but I had not seen it in a long time. So I turned it on, and, like, within minutes, I remembered why it has been so long since I've seen it, which is because I, I genuinely think it's, like, one of the most, if not the most stressful movie I've ever seen. Like, it, I love it, but my heart rate is just through the roof the whole time. And, and if you haven't seen it, I promise I'm not going to spoil it. I won't ruin it. But it's about a 19-year-old drummer who's at this, like, music conservatory, and, and he's picked for this elite jazz group. And he's just, like, so stoked. He's young. He's eager. And so he gets into practice the first day, and pretty quickly he realizes that, that the conductor, this music teacher, is, like, a downright terrifying man. So, like, if anybody plays anything wrong, if somebody's, like, slightly out of tune, they, they start too early, or I don't know, they, like, breathe just too loud or something, this guy, he goes into this, like, angry tirade, and you can just start seeing him change. And so, in practice, all the mus musicians, you can see they're just, like, living in fear of, of making any mistake, because if they do, they legitimately, they risk getting, like, a chair thrown at them, or literally slapped in the face, screamed at from inches away, mocked just constantly. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot to watch. And so as I was move watching this movie, I I'm thinking, gosh, can you imagine in real life how miserable that would be? Like, if you, if you had a, if you were a musician and you had a conductor or a music teacher that was like this, that made you feel like you couldn't do anything wrong, that you had to get everything right, how awful would that be? And then I thought about my piano teacher when I was young. And so to be clear, like, what I'm about to tell you, I am not comparing my situation to this movie. Like, it was nowhere near that, okay? But when you are seven years old, and you're very shy, and you have this, like, elderly, grumpy, classically trained, perfectionist woman who is teaching you piano. It's personally kind of terrifying. Like, I, I just remember during our lessons, she would sit behind me, and I couldn't see her, but I could just, like, feel her always watching whatever I did. And she would watch everything. Like, she would watch my fingers. She would watch my posture. She, she would watch if I was letting my foot off the pedal too early, how, how loudly I was hitting the keys where I was looking, like all of it. And if I was even slightly off, mind you, I'm seven. If I was even slightly off, she would get frustrated, she would snap at me, and we'd start all again. And like that young, I just like, I could not take the pressure. I, I was just... Could not, I could not handle somebody being mad at me, somebody being frustrated, disappointed. And it was, it was I remember it just being like kind of crushing. And some of you, I don't know, like 
Some of you might have that this feeling in you right now that's like, I know that. And you have somebody in your life who, who has made you feel that. Maybe like a, a family member or a teacher, some sort of mentor, maybe even a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some of you have somebody in your life that makes you feel that way. But I, I think a lot of us have that. And yet even more of us probably have felt that way from God. Like, I don't know, have you, have you ever felt that from God or, or felt that about God? Like he is just lurking, watching over your shoulder, waiting for you to make a mistake just so that he can immediately get angry and punish you. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us have learned that, whether it's from like a church growing up or from a, a harsh parent maybe a super demanding coach, maybe you had a scary piano teacher, I don't know, whoever it was, we, we've learned, we've kind of internalized or come to believe that God is like that, like that he's always just a little bit upset with us, definitely disappointed, but sometimes really, really angry. And honestly, I don't think that's all that surprising, to be honest, because one of the biggest criticisms skepticisms about Christianity in our culture today is that the God of the Old Testament, he seems to be really demanding, like really harsh, cruel even. So back in 2006, it's a ways back, but I think it's still relevant. Back in 2006, Gallup, they, they did this survey with about 2,000 people from across the country, and they asked people what their view of God was. And the largest percentage, the largest percentage of respondents, like 31.4% of people who answered, they, they see God as like an angry, authoritative God who, who is quick to punish people. That's, that's the top response. But here's the thing, that, that's just not an accurate view of God. Like, what I mean by that is, is that's not how the Bible talks about who God is. That's not how God talks about who he is. We're, we're in a series right now uh, called Yahweh, and we're just looking at how God describes himself. So, so we're in a passage in Exodus 34. We just read it earlier. We'll read it again in a second. But, but we're reading what God has to say about who he is. It's like his bio, his main bio, or is, is a, a, do you guys remember, do you use Facebook? Maybe not. His about me page, you guys know what that is? Or is it dead? Doesn't matter. Whatever. I'm, I'm, okay. So Exodus, is, it's like his little short, compact list of things about Yahweh according to Yahweh. So if you remember, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, here's what it says. We're just going to go quickly through it Again, it's going to be in Exodus 34. We're going to go through 6 and 7. And he, Yahweh, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Maybe we have another slide. Maybe not. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So in a couple weeks, we'll come back to this punishment language. But, but first, did you catch in the middle that little phrase about anger? 
God when he describes himself, rather than saying he's uh, authoritative or punishing, that he's big, mad, no, Yahweh, he says that he is slow to anger. Slow to anger. What does that mean? Like, what exactly is Yahweh getting at when he says slow to anger? Well, sometimes, if we're not quite sure, it's sometimes helpful to go look back at the words that are used in the original Hebrew. So the language that the Old Testament was written in before it was translated to English. Sometimes that's helpful. But in other times, it's kind of challenging because there are words, phrases that don't have direct translations from Hebrew into English. Like, we don't have a meaning for it in our language. And so that phrase, slow to anger, in Hebrew, it's one of those phrases. We don't really have a use for the Hebrew term. So the Hebrew term is erikapayan, okay? That's that's this word that we see as slow to anger. But here's here's the tricky part. You know what it literally translates to? Erikapayan, what it literally translates to in English is long of nostrils. You get it, right? We're good? No, maybe not. And if, if not, you're actually in good company because scholars, they have, they have educated guesses, some, some good ideas of what this might mean, but we're not exactly sure what the phrase meant in that time. But what we do know, what we do know is that it's a metaphor. It's a word picture. Like it is not a literal description in this passage because God, he doesn't have a, a physical nose. So he's not like letting us in on his facial features. That's not what's happening. So, so it's a metaphor. And scholars, they think that most likely this, this metaphor, it has to do with our breathing. So if you think about when you get angry, just think about kind of what happens to your body. Like your, your chest might get really tight and, and you might clench your jaw. You might purse your lips and all of a sudden you're breathing like really short bursts through your nose and your nose flares out. That's what happens when we're angry. But think about somebody who stays calm, somebody who, who doesn't get angry quickly. What they do is they take slow, deep breaths through their nose, maybe, and you could say that they might be called long of nostrils. Like, like go ahead, take a, take a deep breath through your nose, and maybe you feel like, okay, your, your nostrils are long, right? Maybe? Let's go with it, Okay. I, I like this interpretation, I do, because it reminds me of my mom whenever she was really upset with my brother or I when we were young. And she would do this thing where you could see it start. She would close her eyes, she would relax her shoulders, and she would just take a deep, slow breath in. And I knew, I knew it meant that she was like really angry at us, but I also knew that it meant that she was just taking a second, a moment, before she started speaking, to, to make sure that she could respond kindly to us, that she didn't like fly off the handle at us. So, so this phrase, Erica Piam, sometimes it is long of nostrils, it's translated as slow to anger, but in other places, in other verses, it, it's translated as patient, which I think kind of helps us. So look at Proverbs 14, 29. It says, whoever is Erica Piam, a person who is patient. In this, in this verse, it's, it's the opposite of somebody who is quick-tempered. Or in Proverbs 16, 32, it says an Erica Piam person, a patient person, is somebody who is self-controlled. 
So if we take all of this and, and we put it into context of who God says he is, when he talks about himself as being Eric Apiam, we know that what he's saying is Yahweh is not quick-tempered. He's not irritable. He's not volatile, right? Like, he, he's not one who is gonna get set off easily. We don't have to tiptoe around him to make sure that we don't frustrate him. No, instead, he's calm. His emotions are self-controlled. He is gentle and patient with us. See, that, that slowness, anger, that patience, that kindness, that is his posture towards you. That's actually his disposition toward you. So he's not looking over our shoulder. He's not waiting for you to mess up just so that he can punish you at the first sign of you screwing up. That's not him. God looks at you and he loves you. And he has compassion. We talked about that last week. He has gentleness. He has kindness. He's patient with you. And some of you, I think, I think you've got to let that sit in for a second. Like, just let it sit, let it sink in. Because, because you maybe, maybe you've heard all the verses about God is love. You know, God has perfect sacrificial love for you. You could, you could quote those verses in your sleep. That's great, yeah. But okay, what about that sin that you're hiding right now? That sin that you actually haven't really told anybody about because it feels just too dark and too shameful to even voice that one. How do you think that God looks at you and feels about you in that sin? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I feel. Like when I am in stuck in a sin pattern and I just keep messing up again and again, I, I just feel like God has to be angry at me. Like, there's no other possibility. He's just got to be so over it, so done with dealing with me. Like, at best, I bet he's annoyed. But, but more likely, I bet he's really angry. That's what I feel. But that feeling, that, I know that's a lie. I, I know that is not who God is. See, he is not angry with you or me. The sin, that sin that you are hiding, he, he is grieved over it. He wants you to fight it. He wants you to share it and put it in the light. Absolutely. But his disposition towards you is not irritation or disappointment or anger. His character, God's character, is that he is slow to anger. Okay, so here's an example. Last week, if you were here, uh, if you remember, we talked about a group called the Assyrians. You remember them? Kyle talked about them. If you weren't here, uh, go back and watch that message that Kyle did last week on our YouTube page, Veritas Como, great resource. Uh, but he talked about a group called the Assyrians. And these people, they were the enemies of God's people, the Israelites. And Kyle talked about these were bad dudes. Like, like he was talking about, the, they were the people who were creating pyramids of severed heads. They were skinning people alive. Like they were doing not good stuff. But, but what we saw is that in the book of Jonah, God warned them and these Assyrians, they repented. They stopped doing evil things and they turned to God. It's, it's an amazing story, except it doesn't last. Okay, we see then in books like 
First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, books of the Bible, where these Assyrians, they just fall back into bad habits. And by bad habits, I mean like really bad, evil stuff. But the crazy thing is, God is patient with them in that. Like he doesn't smite them at the first sign of trouble. He, he gives them a ton of time to change, to turn back to him. In fact, he gives them like 150 years of time to change. He gives them 150 years of patience and still they do evil. Gets to the point where the Assyrians, they enslave, they capture the Israelites and still God gives them patience. You can imagine the Assyrians are just like loving this patient stuff from God. You can, you can imagine that they are thinking that God's slowness to anger is awesome. But you know who probably didn't think it was awesome? The Israelites. Like, think of their perspective for just a second. For over a century, the, the Assyrians, they have harassed them, sent people to attack them. They've killed their people. They're, they're now enslaving, capturing, pulling them from their own homes. And they gotta be thinking, hey God, what's up? Where are you at, man? We are being oppressed. So how about you come rescue us? Like, can you be done with all this patient stuff? Like, just help us. Which brings us to the book of Nahum. So, so Nahum, he's another prophet, and he writes a short little book while the Assyrians have captured the Israelites, while the, while the Israelites are in Assyria as exiles. And in the first couple lines of this short little book, we see what Nahum has to say is coming for Nineveh, the, the capital of Assyria, okay? Are we tracking? Here's what it says in the first couple lines. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, so the capital of Assyria. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Yahweh is a jealous and avenging God. Yahweh takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. Yahweh takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Yahweh is slow to anger, but great in power. Yahweh is slow to anger, but he's great in power. Yahweh will not leave the guilty unpunished. So Yahweh, God, he sees year after year after year. He sees the Assyrians evil. And after a certain point, he cannot continue to let it go on any longer. A little bit, a little bit, a couple years after this happens after this book is written, God allows the Babylonian empire to, to come in and crush the Assyrian empire. So God sees his people in oppression and finally he brings justice to them. See, what we haven't talked about quite yet tonight is that God says he's slow to anger, but he doesn't say that he never gets angry. He, he, he says that he is slow, but at a certain point he does get angry. And, and the thing is, that is actually good news. Yahweh is patient, but he doesn't let evil go unpunished. He doesn't let it reign forever. And that's a really, really a good thing. I know it sounds kind of backwards maybe to our ears, but God's anger is actually a good thing. And it's a good thing because it is directed at evil. 
Like it's a response to things like violence and injustice and uh, oppression. And it shows that he actually does love us. He cares for his people dearly, deeply. And so he is slow to anger, but evil, it makes him angry. God, he, he's like a, a parent that gets angry when someone or something gets uh, in their child's way, causes their child harm. So like a parent, think about it, a parent gets mad when they find out that their kid is being bullied in school. Or a parent gets angry when their kid is offered drugs at a party. Or a parent gets angry when their daughter goes to Colorado and skis for a week without a helmet. And that one is like very hypothetical and not my lived experience, of course, right? But a parent gets angry when their kid is put in harm. And God is the same way. He is a loving parent. And so he is angered when evil affects, harms his children. He's angry at the fact that he knows kids go hungry all over the world each night. He's angry when someone is sold and trafficked for their body. He's angry at bombs that are dropped on villages of innocent families. God, he is angered by evil, and it's because of his love for us. Like, if he let evil slide, if he said, uh, whatever, nothing to do about that, see, that wouldn't be a loving God. He would be callous. He would be distant. He would be apathetic, and that's not who God is. He is caring. He is present. He is protective. God, he is slow to anger, but his anger toward evil, it proves his goodness and love to us. It proves it. So God is slow to anger, but when he gets angry, it is a good thing for us. His anger is good. But then here's a question, okay? Why then, why then does the Bible have all over it that anger is a sin? Look, so Colossians 3, 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Or next, we've got Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or Psalm 37, 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. So how come God's anger is a response to evil, but our anger, it only leads to evil. What's up with that? Well, it's because, because God's anger is way different than our anger, okay? Our anger, it comes usually, let's say, usually it comes from a place of not getting what we want. It, it comes from things like I don't know, like feeling inconvenienced or wronged by someone. It comes from having to give something up, losing something. So our anger, our anger is honestly most often from kind of a selfish place. And when we're angry, what we want to do is we, we want to bring justice for ourselves. We, we want to say, hey, we're going to make things right. We'll take this into our own hands because justice is ours. But honestly, it doesn't bring justice. Like, it doesn't make things right. It doesn't actually benefit us at all. The Bible, it's kind of clear about that. In, in James, the first chapter, 19 and 20, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I'll be honest with you guys. The times that I am the most angry at people, it's usually when I feel slighted. Like when I feel like I didn't get the respect or the attention or the praise that I feel like I deserved when somebody made me feel small or, or insignificant, that's when I'm especially angry. And in my mind, I think, okay, fine. I'll, I'll take this into my own hands. I'll make them feel small. I'll cut them down with my words. I'll withhold affection from them the next time I see them. But it never brings me justice. Like It, it never makes things Right, it, it never makes me feel a sense of righteousness. It only makes me more angry at the person, feel more distant from them, and honestly, more ashamed at myself. Our anger, it, it really, most of the time, it just leads to evil. So, so where is your anger leading you to? Where does your anger lead you to? Like maybe, maybe it does lead you to things like rage and yelling and outbursts, emotional outbursts, physical outbursts. Maybe, maybe that's you. But maybe not. Maybe it's different. Like maybe your anger leads you to holding grudges or mean sarcasm, like unkind words. Maybe it, it means that you refuse to help someone or you intentionally make their day harder. Maybe it leads you to divisiveness, to spreading lies or rumors about people. Whatever it is, it could be anything. But, but ask yourself, where is it leading you? Where is it leading you? And is it, what's it doing for you? Is it bringing you justice? Like, honestly, is it making you feel better? Think about this for a second. Who's made you angry recently? Think of a person that has made you angry. And think about it, what did they do to you? Like maybe they wronged you by betraying you, breaking a promise to you. Maybe they gossiped about you. Maybe they cheated on you, Felt, made you feel dumb or, or unworthy, insignificant. Now think about that anger that you felt or are feeling to that person, towards that person and ask, where is it leading you? Where is it leading you? I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. I'm not saying that you should ignore what they did to you, but where is that anger leading you? Is it causing you to want the worst for them? Is it causing you to use harsh words around them or just cut them out of your life completely? Now though, now think about God's character. Flip side, think about who God says he is, his patience, his slowness to anger, his kindness, his grace, and think about what would it look like to respond to that person in your head and in your words, in your actions, respond to that person with that kind of character. What would that look like? How, how could you show them patience? How could you just give them time to change, to come around? What would a really self-controlled, kind, calm conversation look like with that person, and what would it do for your relationship with them? See, God, his good and righteous anger, it means that someday he will make all things right. He, he will come back and he will bring justice. He will banish evil forever. But until then, in the meantime, 
Sometimes we just have to trust his, his patience. We have to trust his slowness to anger. Sometimes we just have to let go. We have to fight our own anger and instead point to God's character. As, as the music team comes back up, I just want us to imagine, what if Veritas, what if this group of people were, were a group of people that actually committed to, to truly living this way? Like, what if we were a group of people that decided in really big moments, but also really small moments, day by day, to show grace to people, to show kindness, to show them patience, the people that make us angry? What would that be like? I'm talking about day by day, real situations, like real life stuff. What if we didn't lash out in anger, but instead we showed patience, self-control, calmness, kindness. What would people think about a community like that? Like, what would they see about us, notice about us, feel from us? How, how legitimately cool would it be if Veritas were known as a group of people who showed patience, kindness, gentleness? What if? And I, I'm not just talking about on Tuesdays, like I'm talking about every day, all aspects of our life and not for our sake, not so that we look great, but for the glory of God. See, this has the power to really make God's name known, like to really show people who Yahweh is. That's my prayer. It's my prayer for all of us that through us, Yahweh's name, his character, he would be more clearly known and seen. So I'm gonna end by praying quickly for us that we would be people who would show that patience and kindness and that other people would notice and that they, they would be seeing Yahweh, that they would know him more fully. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank that you are a God who is slow to anger who sees us with kindness and compassion, with affection. We thank you that we don't have to worry about you being angry, irritated, annoyed with us all the time. God, you love us, you see us, and you want a relationship with us. You are delighted in us, and we thank you for that. God, we ask that we would just have hearts that are changed to reflect who you are, that we would more and more reflect a slowness to anger, a patience, a kindness, just as you show us. We pray that that would be something that makes you visible to other people. We pray that you would be doing that in us as a community, in, in every aspect of our life, on campus, in jobs, with our family, with our friends. God, let your name be known through us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.